Our Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for this word because it is right and it is true and it is the best. So Father, open our hearts and our minds to what you'd have to say to us today. And we will be grateful. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to say hello to you in the community center and those of you who are uh, watching online. It's quite a great, that's a, quite a passage of scripture, isn't it? If you were here last week, a little contrast to uh, the way that went over last week. This week, uh, we're looking at the law. Now, there were a lot of things that uh, I got to do as a pastor uh, that I do get to do as a pastor. Uh, many of those are, are really cool, uh, like getting to officiate at weddings. I get to marry people. I think that's pretty cool. One of the first uh, weddings that I performed as a uh, pastor uh, happened in my previous church. I was very concerned to make sure that uh, all the elements of the service were going well. So I made sure that the transitions flowed smoothly from one to the next. And the couple was at ease. That they knew their cues and that they were enjoying each other and enjoying the service. And uh, everything was going well. I was about halfway through my message uh, building confidence with each word that I was giving, when um, suddenly I noticed that the congregation was still standing. <laughs> I mean, I'd forgotten to ask them to sit. So they were just standing there. We were 15 minutes into the service, and these <laughs> poor people are they're still standing there. So my, uh, my lips are moving, but my brain goes in this other place, right? I, I'm starting to think, uh, how could this have happened? Why are these people still standing? Why am I just now noticing that they're still standing? Where was I? Was I here? Now what am I going to do? You know, all these thoughts are going through my mind. So I finally, I made a quick decision, just decided to, to keep preaching, end that message as quickly as I could. And then in a calm pastoral voice, I said, please be seated. <laughs> I pulled it off nicely. Then at the reception, I was talking with someone, and he was commenting about uh, just how beautiful the service was and about uh, the message. And then he said, uh, he said, you know, I've never been in a service where we had to stand through the sermon. <laughs> he said, that was strange. Is that something you Presbyterians do? Uh, well, not exactly. You know, those people, they were doing one thing when they should have been doing another. They were standing when they should have been sitting. And in some crazy way, that's kind of a little bit like what's going on in the background of our, of our scripture here this morning. Because Israel had been in slavery for about 400 years. And God miraculously delivers them from the most powerful nation at that known time. Uh, and uh, there in the desert, God then provides water and, and manna and meat, and Israel responds by fussing. They are looking back and longing for the life that they once had in Egypt. See, they were whining when they should have been praising. They were looking back when they should have been looking forward. They were fearing scarcity when they should have been trusting in God's abundance. They were living as slaves, acting like slaves, when they should have been looking like they were free. The problem is, they didn't know the way to be free. Now, it's interesting to me that after the parting of the Red Sea, that God doesn't just go, okay, it's all yours. Have at it. Knock yourselves out. Don't do anything I wouldn't do. Call me or text. 
see you. You know, but God doesn't do that because God is committed to us in uh, relationship. God had more in mind for Israel, doesn't give up on us. Uh, God doesn't do that for them. But uh, my guess is that the people back then probably would have been fine with that. Uh, you know, until something else happened that they needed God to, to come through for them on. Uh, you know, we're good with that too for some reason. There, there's something about us that just, you know, we want to do life on our own. We, we want to be able to do it on our, on our own. Uh, at least, uh, you know, uh, just at least we would be fine with that if God would just uh, let, let us alone. Because ultimately for us, uh, we... we we just we want to be by ourselves. We, we want to be separated from God in some uh, amazing, uh, intimate way. Because uh, for us, that's just human nature. Life is, is, is liberty. It's, uh, it's happiness. It's sort of this personal uh, declaration of independence that we have. Because ultimately for us, freedom without God isn't freedom at all. It's a mess. It's like living in prison or a minimum security facility at best. Either way, we're settling. We're settling for a life that is less than what God has for us. Settling for a lifestyle that is holding us back from something deeper, something better, something more. For some of us here today, there is something or some things that are holding us back from God's original design for us. For some of us today, uh, we're, we're experiencing less than we can. Now today, this message is the last in a sermon series called Prison Break. It's about getting free of the things that have a hold of us. And I want to start by asking the question that Scott's been asking this whole week, or this whole series. What would you like to get free from? What would you like God to set you free from? Stress? Control? Hopelessness, helplessness, low self-esteem, a bad relationship, health concerns, fear, anger, an addiction. What would you like God to set you free from? What is it? Now someone sent me an email about a preacher who decided to skip church one Sunday morning. And at the last minute he appointed someone else to preach for him. And the preacher instead, uh, this pastor, decided to go bear hunting instead. So out there on the mountain, when he was hunting, he, he was turning the corner on the steep trail and happened to run headlong into this bear. Well, the preacher went flying off the, mount, off the trail and tumbling down the side of the mountain. And as he did, he lost his handle on his gun. And unfortunately, when he fell, he, he hit a rock and broke his leg. Well, that was the good news because the bad news was that the bear was tearing down the mountain after him, coming on him ferociously. Preacher couldn't move, but all he could do was pray. So he prayed, Dear God, God, I am so sorry that I skipped church today. Would you, would you please forgive me for that? And, and Lord, would you change the heart of this bear? <laughs> Lord, make him into a Christian. Well, no sooner had that preacher prayed that prayer when that bear skidded to a halt right at the feet of that preacher, fell to its knees, took its paws, held them together, and started to pray out loud. Dear God, 
bless this food that I'm about to receive. <laughs> well, that one didn't turn out the way it was supposed to, did it? There are a lot of times when life doesn't just go the way it's supposed to. 400 years of slavery wasn't the way it was supposed to go for Israel. But remember the main thread of Scripture, that God doesn't give up. And so the first part of the book of Exodus is about God delivering Israel from slavery. And in the passage that we read here today, God meets with Moses on the top of Mount Sinai. And there on that mountain, he reaffirms the covenant he established with Abraham back in Genesis chapter 12. And then God gives Moses the laws, not just the Ten Commandments, but all the laws, all 631 of them. Now, you can find the law in the rest of the book of Exodus and in Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. It's riveting reading, really. I'd encourage you to, to check that out. But the law was really sophisticated, especially for that point in time. It covered a lot of ground, and it should have. There were 631 of them. And when the lawyers got a hold of those laws, well, then they made up more laws. Surprising, isn't that? The lawyers would do that. One example is around the Sabbath day. Now, no work could be done on the Sabbath. But the law wasn't specific about what was work and what wasn't work. So the lawyers got busy, and they ended up developing 39 different legal categories for what qualified as work and what wasn't work. Now, think about that. One law... 39 different legal categories, only 630 more laws left. But we miss the beauty and the sophistication of the law God gave Moses if we focus on how complicated people made it, because the law was really the best thing that God gave Israel out in the desert. There were two main purposes to the law. First, the law was meant uh, not to wreck our lives, but to help us live fulfilling lives and to avoid what can hurt us. Now, last month, uh, I went to Rwanda with a number of people from our church, and the high point of our trip was a five-day stay at the Center for Champions. You may remember that this is the campus for former street children that was built with the money we gave through the Ripple Effect campaign. Now, mornings, our group went to class with the kids, and in afternoons, we had a, a variety of different uh, activities that we, uh, that we engaged with with the kids. One afternoon, we taught the kids how to play American baseball. Now, I love that game. Now, we sat the kids down, and our team leader started by kind of giving an overview of some of the ground rules and, and the principles that, that would help the kids get an understanding of the game. But the kids were more interested in this bag that was sitting by the feet of the team leader because in that bag there were bats and balls, and, and they couldn't wait to figure out what that was all about. Well, uh, 15 minutes of going through the rules and, and uh, principles of baseball was hardly enough to give those kids a clean, uh, crisp grasp for the game, but that was about all that they had to, were, you know, that's all it looked like they were going to give us the time for, so uh, we decided to call it. Uh, break and, uh, and give the game a, a shot to go play the game. Now, we divided into two teams, and uh, one team took the field. The other team went to, to home plate, and we started uh, just to do a little warming up, and then we played the game, or at least that was the idea. <laughs> now, those kids could really hit. Man, could they hit the ball. 
But it was what uh, they were supposed to do next that was the problem. Now, some kids would hit the ball, and they'd run straight to second base. Now, I mean right across the pitcher's mound to second base. And other kids, when they'd hit the ball, they'd run to third base, and a team member would have to run alongside of them and try to get them pointed around and headed to first base. Now, the kids out in the field really didn't have a clear idea as to what to do with the ball, and many of them had never thrown a ball, so who knew where that ball was going to go? Well, after two innings of playing American baseball, we called it quits. We called it quits, (laughs) and that was uh, the end of our experiment with American baseball. Uh, You know, knowing and following the rules would have sure made that game a whole lot more fun for everyone. Now, rules, they frame the boundaries and map out the way for playing the game as well as kind of spelling out the consequences for, uh, you know, for what happens when we don't play the game the way that it should be. And without the rules, there really isn't a game to be played, is there? Now, the rules themselves aren't a lot of fun. Studying the rules, trying to find the exceptions and developing new rules, that's not much fun. That's not the fun part. But playing the game, that's the fun part. But you see, we need the rules in order to have fun. Those rules help us to play the game. They bring order in the midst of chaos. Rules help us find joy. They don't wreck our joy. Now, I wonder if sometimes you and I don't look a little bit like those kids running around out on the field there in Rwanda that afternoon. You know, running around confused in our lives, indecisive a bit, doing what we're not supposed to and not doing what we are supposed to, running in the wrong direction from right, our inner life in chaos, missing out on the joy of a free life because we don't know the rules, God's rules, God's rules which make life work best. Now, God gave the law to Israel as a kind of moral roadmap for guiding them, not to a physical destination place called the promised land, but to a way of being, because God's purpose was to create a people after his own heart, a new community, when people would live in relationship, right relationship with one another, and where justice and righteousness and goodness and faith and love were the way, and they would be the only way. And now we, because of Jesus... We are that new community bringing heaven here on earth, guided by God's word that we can find in the Bible. That's what shows us the way, the way into a new life that is deeper, better, more. God's principles don't wreck our lives, but they help us find fulfilling lives and avoid what can hurt us. Now, the second purpose of the law was to show us that we're imperfect people who need a perfect God to save us. Leviticus 19, uh, that uh, Rosalind read a little bit earlier, it says, When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the alien. I am the Lord your God. Now, those who were poor or a foreigner in uh, that time were often people who didn't own the land. And in an agrarian society, that's a bad deal. That's a bad thing. So God made a proviso which gave these landless people an opportunity to harvest their own food. Now, who ever heard of a law like that? There were also laws that instructed employers in such a way that they couldn't take advantage of their employees. And there were laws that 
the covered uh, situations where people had, a, had experienced personal injuries so that they could be rightly compensated. And there were laws to make sure people got a fair trial, and there was no vigilante justice at that day. The law covered a lot of ground, and as I mentioned, it should have. There were 631 of them. But at the most basic level, the law was intended to be a reflection of the one who gave them. It was to be a spotlight on the main actor of all of human history. It was to be the signature of the one true God who in his mercy, truth, faithfulness, and holiness signed off in covenant relationship on a moral mo roadmap which showed his people the way to be perfect with one another. The law was a reflection of God. It's what set God apart as perfect and as unique, not like anyone or anything ever. But the bottom line was that the, God, that the law would not create the kind of people that God desired. It, it couldn't do that. It couldn't make the kind of community that God wanted, it, it intended. It couldn't make the kind of people that God desired. Rules can show the way, but they don't have the power to transform us, do they? They don't have the power to make us want to, to follow. The only thing that the law could ultimately do was to show us that God is holy and we are not. That we are imperfect people who need a perfect God to save us. Because the truth is that there is something in us that wants to do it our own way. Something in us that just rejects God. Something in us that thinks we know better. That we know the way to be free. And we don't need anyone or any God to get us there. So we might end up like this. I don't know if you can see what that says. A couple of guys digging up through the ocean floor. It says, we're almost free, everyone. I just felt the first drop of rain. <laughs> now, have you ever been in that place? We can try and try and try to do it our own way. But what we, but what we get is we end up getting farther and farther and farther from free and farther and farther from a vital relationship with our Heavenly Father. And as that great hymn says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. That even when God has been so faithful, so reliable, so steadfast, our rock, our fortress, still we wander, still we move away. Because there's just something in us, an independent spirit, which packs our bags and sends us off on our own. Paul calls that. The sin nature. It's what broke us and broke in us at the fall. It won't show up under a microscope or on a CAT scan or on an MRI, but something in us broke, and no law or regulation or rule can get us back. Only Jesus can do that. Because you see, only Jesus can stand in the gap between a holy God and the guilt and shame of our sin. Because he paid the price that cleanses us forever. And only Jesus can, can give his life to die the death that was ours to die so that we could live the life that he lives forever. And only Jesus can remake us and give us a new purpose in life that accomplishes what that law was originally intended to do, bringing God's kingdom here on earth. 
And only Jesus has the power to change our heart and reshape our mind so that we can think and act like children of the high king of heaven instead of prisoners sentenced to a life which is less than what we were created for. Only Jesus shows us the way. Now, one of the ministries we have here at First Press is called Kid Reach. It's a tutoring and mentoring ministry. And uh, in its first year, uh, the volunteers and staff met a young boy who uh, had had a life filled with rejection, pain, and loneliness. His life had been so awful that uh, the, the staff at the school that he attended recommended him to Kid Reach because his learning had been so badly impaired. Well, uh, he was acting out one particular night, uh, kicking and, and uh, you know, uh, just screaming and crying. And the, the staff had had such a hard time trying to figure out how to help him. But on this one particular night, as he's having this kind of tantrum, and he's kicking and he's screaming and, and acting out, one of the volunteers came up to him, a volunteer who worked with kids like this before, grabbed a hold of him and hugged him, just placed a hug on him and would not let him go. He kicked, and he pushed and screamed and cried, but she kept hanging on, slowly rocking him back and forth, just loving on him. Minutes went by, but then slowly, as she loved on him, holding him more and more, he started to melt into her arms. And after some time, he calmed down. It was a major, major breakthrough because he'd been loved on, even at the moment when he was hardest to love. And you know, we are a lot like that kid, you and me. Like him, we know the rules, but the rules don't have the power to change us. Thrashing around, trying to do life our way, pushing away from God and, and anyone else, just wanting to be left alone to have our own space. But God won't leave us. Never, never, never will God leave us. Even when we are at our worst, no matter what, still God loves us. Because real love sees everything and everyone completely. You don't have to do anything to earn Jesus' love. And you can't undo that perfect love Jesus has for you either. And when you know that you are loved, with a love like that, you never want to let go. A love like that is just too good to walk away from. A love like that creates more possibilities than we can ever ask or even imagine. What could God do with your life if you really let Him? With your gifts, with your talents, your relationships, your character, your financial resources. What could God do with all that because you are really free? So what do you want to get free from this morning? And what will it take for you to get there? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the freedom that you have given us in Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord God, that you have given us a way, not just in the Scripture, Lord, that gives us a road map. But Father God, you have given us a way in Jesus. And we pray now more for his power, more for his presence to work in us, to make us more the men and the women that you have intended us to be. Set us free. 
in Jesus' name, amen.